Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of combat sports, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good, Ken. Good to see you. Um, you look groomed You're getting up. down to middleweight. Yeah, I've lost 28 pounds. So uh, you, I can see a huge difference now. I'm not at middleweight, uh, you know, unless uh, the people that control the scales in the WBC <laughs> or the WBA are managing the scales, then maybe, maybe if I paid my sanction or fees. Or, or Daniel Cormier is holding your towel. Well, if I paid my sanction and fees, I might be able to make middleweight for the WBA. Oh, for the right price, you'd be feather. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> paperweight probably. Um, you know, the world of technology is amazing. I still have a fax machine. A lot of people can see it in in the background sometimes. But our producer Rob is in Italy on his belated honeymoon uh, co helping to coordinate this show. So well, I hope that he's having a great time and doing this is not creating his first marital dispute with his wife Marla. So I just wanted to give a quick mention to Rob we got Sam here. We got you. I'm here. We're ready to go. I'd like to start by saying something to the fans out there. Uh, first of all, thank you. This last week, when we did the uh, we did the Usyk Joshua rematch and the Usman Edwards UFC fight and the undercard of that of that UFC card. We got over 300,000 views when, when you add up the episode and the clips to the episode, all said and done, over 300,000 views. That's, that's pretty damn good. There's not too many podcasts out there. There's a few monsters out there like uh, Joe Rogan. He's, he's Godzilla. But aside from him and a few other monsters, not too many podcasts can say they do that. So I want to really take a minute of gratitude to thank all our fans across the pond here, domestically, everywhere that come and believe in this show. They believe in the truth. They believe in us, uh, our opinions. And, and again, being the x-ray, the CAT scan of boxing, where we're going to break it all down. And we're... You know, we're, we're not going to have agendas. Our only agenda is to tell the truth. And that's a good agenda. The only thing I want to add to that, and I'm sure you will too, Ken, is that I would ask, and again, I'm so grateful, and that's why I'm saying this. I would ask for you to please subscribe. Please tell your friends also to subscribe besides just viewing. We had 270,000 subscribers. Again, a hell of a number. But if you want us to continue doing this show, and we want to continue doing it because we love you guys, um, subscribe because that helps us. And it helps us stay here with you guys and sharing the time every week with you guys that we look forward to. So... I just wanted to say that I'm sure you want to follow that with the same sentiments. Of course. Yeah, we appreciate everything. We appreciate the people who support, especially the people who support and subscribe to um, the show, but also buy Athletic Greens because we, 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 we advocate for those guys and all the sponsors we work with. My bookie, feel free. Like all that support helps us greatly. You know, this is um, there's a lot of expenses associated with recording the show, and we really appreciate the fans for sticking with us. Because, like you say all the time, if the fans weren't there, there'd be no need for us or no use for us to keep doing it. So that's a good way to show us that you're listening. Continue to support. It's effortless to subscribe, leave a comment. All those metrics help us, um, you know, increase our relevance and let people know that we have this show that is a staple in the uh, combat sports arena. So thank you to everyone. Yeah, give those five-star reviews. Where are you guys? Five stars, yep. baby. Uh, go ahead. Take us away there, Ken, because there was only one fighter. Slow down. It slowed down this yeah. past weekend. Slow weekend. But we Slow weekend as the summer winds down. 
But um, Pedraza and uh, Richard Jose Pedraza, Richard Comey had a very competitive fight. But before we get into that fight, both guys basically fighting for their careers, I would think. They both needed to win. But before we got to the main event, we got to um, take a trip to the slaughter farm and watch a bunch of sacrificial lambs get fed to the lions, essentially. These these fights were so non-competitive. It's so non-competitive that to the point, like, I'm thinking, does anyone... Is are these promoters not concerned about getting someone hurt here? You're putting in inexperienced, unqualified pros with legitimate fighters in some cases, and you're gonna get someone hurt. I mean, that um, what's the kid's name? Richard Torres. I, you're gonna have a death on your hands if you keep letting people get in there with a heavyweight that can punch like that. That was insane. It was scary. The guy's face down on the canvas. I mean, guys. You got to get someone in there that's competitive with the kid, at least competitive, not one-sided, complete sacrifice of a lamb. It, it, was a, it was sad to see, but what were your thoughts on that undercard? Yeah, well, it's what they always saw. They're doing what they want to do, the top-ranked the promoters. They're doing what they can get away with. They're doing what they did in the 70s and 80s, if we're going to be quite honest, and that's what we are. We're honest. We're transparent about it. We have no agendas. We don't have farm meals. Um, I don't give a damn if people like it or don't like it. I just care that it needs to be said. Uh, it hurts our sport. Uh, at the end of the day, there's there's a price to pay to the networks. They don't realize it, but there is because back in the 70s and 80s, Top Rank was with ESPN, and after 20 years, they turned it into a farm system like they're doing now, the same formula. It's no different. And they signed up their amateurs. They told them you could be on TV. They used the money from TV to sign them. They told them that early in your career, you're going to be on TV, sign with us. And what they do, they they went about putting them in with non-competitive, more or less, even worse. Like you said, it's like watching a, a lion get raw meat. I mean, if you want to watch a lion track down a gazelle out in the wilderness and slaughter it, put on a nature channel. You know what I mean? But not on ESPN or boxing. Uh, but like I said, they did it in the 70s and 80s. Finally, it ran its route. Uh, it chased the audience completely away. The executives probably, they finally woke up and they saw the bottom line and they they got rid of them. And then they went with a new program called Friday Night Fights, which I was part of. And you know what? We excelled. We excelled for 18 years, for 18 years. And with and the formula there was use different promoters every week, you know. Uh, so there's competitiveness that they don't get comfortable. It's not one promoter that has a deal for 20 years and it doesn't matter what he gives you, what crap he gives you. It, you know, you, you, you have to put good fights on. So every week a different promoter would put a show on and if it was up, wasn't up to snuff, he wouldn't get another shot at it. Some other promoter would get a shot to step in there and do it. And what they do and what they're doing, if you haven't noticed by now, is, yeah, they sign up these Olympic kids. Again, they tell them they're going to be on TV. They use the money that they get from ESPN. They sign them up. And then for the next two to three years, that's about what it takes to develop a young kid. Uh, they just, <laughs> they, they feed them raw meat, okay, to build up their records of 14, 15, 16, 17 and all. And then they go and get them a title fight, hope they win a title. And then they could tell the executive, see, we got champions. But again, there's a price to pay because you're, you're, you're scorching earth. You're scorching earth. Because you're going to do the same damn thing you did in the 70s and the 80s. The same thing. Yeah, you throw a bone. You put a good main event on once in a while. But boy, oh boy, those other fights. And like you said, to your point, it's a, it's a responsible point. Someone's going to get hurt. But the executives, if it was football, baseball, basketball, any of the other major sports, they'd notice. But you know what the problem is, Ken? 
first of all, it it takes up a slide of TV time. You know, it it fills a slide of TV time they have to fill. Programming, right? Everyone needs programming if you own a network. So it fill and it's cheap compared to hockey and basketball and baseball and football. Even though it's ninety thousand, they gotta pay uh, top rank a year or ninety million. I'm sorry, ninety million a year, whatever the that's what it was at the beginning. And they had a four year deal, then they extended to seven years. Um, it's still small compared to the other major sports as far as what they have to pay for programming. But what the problem is, if it was the other sports, the executives would notice and they would watch. They don't watch. They don't give a damn. They don't watch boxing. And they don't know boxing. It's the truth. They know something about baseball, something about basketball, something about hockey, something about football, of course. You know, you're familiar. You're brought up with it. But boxing, no. They really don't know. So they don't know really what's good or bad. And you get a con artist like Aram, who's really, really good, 70 years in a business of of you know, bringing guys along, of conning people, of, of you know, knowing how to make his, you know, how to make this sting, like that movie years ago, the sting with, with Robert Redford and, and um, Paul Newman. It was a great movie, the sting, it won an Academy Award, where the, he knows how to do the hustle. You know what I mean? He knows how to schmooze. He knows how to talk to these guys, even when it comes to the commentary. Yeah, they, they, again, if they heard some of the commentary once in a while, I'm not necessarily saying just them. I'm saying across the board. But because you got a couple of ex-fighters there at ESPN, know what the hell they're doing. They do a good job. But then some of the other guys, like, and, and again, with some of the other networks too, if you heard some of these things, sometimes you scratch your head. What the frick is he talking about? What fight is he called? Now, again, if an executive was even up watching, which they're not for boxing. They are for baseball, football, basketball, but not for this. But if they were, they would say, wait, that don't sound right. But when they hear something that's a little bit ridiculous, they don't know it's ridiculous. Again, they're not familiar with the sport of, of pugilism. So they don't know. They don't know if it's if it's good, bad, indifferent. They don't know. And that's the problem. That's, that's why they're going to burn it up again. They're going to burn it up again. You watch. Mark my words. Mark this date down that on this date, Teddy Atlas said that ESPN's going down the same route that they went down in the 70s and 80s. And I don't know how long it's going to take. I guess at least seven years because they got a seven-year contract. But eventually... They're going to realize it. They're going to they're gonna wise up and they're going to see the bottom line and they're going to say, oh my God, all we do is put on one-sided fights so top right can build up their fighters so they can have a stable of fighters, of champions. And we're being used. And you know what? The public, you guys, you're being used too. I mean, some of you are smart enough to get off the train, get off the track before you get run over by the train. You know, the train that's going to put you to sleep, the train called Samonex. That's the name of it, Samonex Express, by the way. You're smart enough to, to see and say, hey, I ain't, I ain't paying into this. I'm not buying into this. But a lot of fans go along. They love the sport. They go along. It takes them a long time to wise up. But they're making suckers, really. They've been down this road. They're good at it. They're making suckers out of everybody. They really are. And again, you get a bone. You get the bone every once in a while. Okay, appreciate it. I wish there was a little more meat on the bone. But hey, uh, it's it's nice to get a bone uh, every once in a while. But I had to say that, you know, it's the truth. It's one of the reasons why I'm not commenting or commentating anymore, obviously there. But now we'll get to the Pedraza Call me fight. Ken, it was a solid fight. It was a good fight. It was well matched. Like he's, we always give bravos to the UFC matchmaker. Makes a lot of good matches. Well, they made a good match here. It was a real good solid fight. Two former champions and a bit of a crossroads fight like you just said appropriately where it was a fight of urgency for both guys' career. And I thought... I thought from the outset, the way I handicapped it, the way I tweeted during the fight, so I said a lot of this stuff early. The problem was I was tweeting 
I was tweeting and sending them out to Italy, and, and Rob was sleeping already. So Ian, Ian uh, Mackey, the great Ian Mackey, he was helping. From he's, Stanford. Yeah, Stanford uh, guy. He He's a genius. Let's be honest. He should be at Nassau, not working with Teddy Atlas and Ken <laughs> Rydow. But anyway, um, he... He got him up, but he was going out to dinner too. So he got him up afterwards. So I did him live to the fight, but then he put him up a little bit afterwards. And and listen, it wasn't a million people watching this, but but again, we're doing this show because every fan out there, we want to satisfy everyone. We want to consider everyone. We want to respect everyone. So we know there's going to be fans out there that are going to talk about this fight, even if it's not as many as last week when we got 300,000 views. But we still value that we bring you the information, the data to the fights that you guys look for. So we, um, we're doing this fight. Again, it was uh, just like I tweeted. It was a well-matched fight. I gave Pedraza the edge in being technically better, more rounded, more dimensional. He had legs. He could use the ring. The other guy, Comey, uh, was more one-dimensional. Uh, Pedraza, Pedraza being also a southpaw had that dimension to him too. And he... he he is a southpaw. I want to be sure. Just verify that for me, Ken, as I'm talking. But I, I'm, I know he was because I was watching him throw a right, right-handed jab. It's just that I never like to make mistakes, so I'm always, I'm always making sure. But in the meantime, Pedraza came out showing that dimension to him. You know where he could do more. Pedraza's on. Pedraza on Boxrec is listed as an orthodox fighter. All right, then maybe I, uh, I wonder if, I uh, let's see, I wonder if I um, I wonder if maybe I'm just switching back. If he forth. switched, yeah, he may have switched. They're both, they're both listed as orthodox. I'm pretty sure. Boxrec. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that he switched, but I'm almost positive he switched southpaw, um, and and uh, you know the fans will right away will. They will uh, send messages to you, Ken, and say, yeah, Teddy was right. Uh, he did swear. Or Teddy was wrong. But either way, we um, he, was, he was able to do, as I said, he's got more in his toolbox. Pedraza, he can do more. But Comey is a game strong, and he had the physical edge. More physicality, better puncher, more explosive. And he turned it around. Early on, he took a little control of that fight, Comey, where he timed some beautiful left hooks. The commentators were talking right hand, right hand, right. And listen, rightfully so. The right hand of Comey is well known. He does damage with that. But he did damage with the left hook. Maybe that was smart because he knew Pedraza would be looking for the right hand too. And sure enough, the experienced Comey, he went in there, he timed some good left hooks, he shook up Pedraza, he took control of the fight. Um, and quite frankly, Ken, Pedraza was, uh, Comey was fighting with more urgency. Like early, like like he, he knew this was life and death for him. Like you said, for both fighters, they they had to win this fight uh, to get back to another title fight. And he he really showed it. Comey was fighting with that urgency. And then something happened. I don't remember what round, the sixth round, somewhere around there, there was a head clash. And it changed the tempo. It changed the tempo dramatically. Where all of a sudden, Pedraza, who had been boxing and having his spots back and forth, but all of a sudden he took control. The tempo went his way. The rhythm of the fight went his way after the head clash where Comey got a cut over his left eye. And it was, you know, it was bleeding into the eye a little bit, distracting him a little bit. And he took advantage, Pedraza. And he started to take control. And he took control of the fight into the eighth round. And then Comey, that's what made it such a good fight. There were ebbs and flows, back and forth. Comey came back, and Comey took control in the eighth. Then the ninth round, Pedraza came back, and Pedraza took back control. And 
I thought Pedraza took that control into the 10th round and then Colmy, the game, game, Colmy. They're both game. But Colmy made a run at him. And what a gentleman Colmy is. Uh, they both are. They both conduct themselves the way you want fighters to conduct themselves in and outside the ring as gentlemen as well as fighters. And at, at the end of the round, towards the end of the round, Colmy made a run. And, and he tightened it up a little bit. I thought Pedraza still won the round. I had Pedraza probably with an edge in a fight. But you know what? It turned out to be a draw. I'm not arguing. You hear me argue a lot of times about the decisions. And I say it passionately. I say it with my heart and soul. You know, because it matters. It matters when they rob these freaking kids. But this one, I'll also say, I don't, I don't really have a problem with a draw. Like I said, maybe a little edge to Pedraza, but uh, the way the fight had ebbs and flows back and forth, uh, I, I'm comfortable with a draw in that fight. And, and both fighters probably are because they got a... they got a stay of execution, if you will. You know, I'm just like... It was a must-win for both, and now they get another shot, maybe at a rematch or, you know, whatever. The one thing I want to add to this, um, I've been in this business 50 years, and obviously I love the business, and I love what it's all about. I just don't love the administration of the business, the people who run it outside. Um, But... The fighters, I love them, I respect them, I'm always caring about them, I think we all do at ESPN. That's why I used to go ballistic when they rob a kid because I knew the dangers that they face. I knew, like I used to say, that every time they got in the ring, they were getting out of the ring with less of themselves. And along those lines, Ken, I want to say that Comey took a real big beating in his last fight with Lomachenko. He really did. I know Lomachenko don't punch like Tank Davis, but he's a hell of a fighter, a hell of a technician, a hell of a busy fighter. He hits you clean. He hits you solid. He's a two-time gold medalist. He's a three-division world champion. Lomachenko, Lomachenko gave him a pounding, a pounding. The great heart, the great heart of Comey kept him in it. But it was close, very close to the referee early on stopping that fight after four or five rounds, whatever it was. But you got to be cognizant of that, that a human head can only take so many blows. And he was back in the ring pretty fast in this fight. You know, in another tough fight, Comey's going to be in all tough fights. Let's face it. That's what he's going to be. And Pedraza too. And now he's in another tough fight. I'm just saying that his people have to be pleased. And the commissions, for once, earn your freaking money. You know, once in a while, if you see, even a guy don't get knocked out, but like in the Lomachenko fight, if you see a guy takes a lot of punches, an inordinate amount of punches, please do your freaking job and, and say, you know what, we want him to stay out of the ring for X amount of time. Give him a little longer rest. This way, if the people around them don't know how to do it uh, or aren't inclined to do it, whatever reason, then then at least let a commission who's supposed to look out for the welfare of the fighter. It's supposed to be part of their responsibility. Let them do it. Where, again, you got to keep an eye on a guy, on all fighters, but especially a guy who fights like Comey with his heart, with his soul, who takes punches to give punches um, at times, and and took a lot in the Lomachenko fight. He was in another tough freaking fight. He had 10 rounds. Uh, He doesn't get any easy ones, especially now at this point in his career. Watch him. You people out there that the commissions, the, the people that, again, are mandated with this responsibility, supposedly, and, and of course, also his people, come on, watch him. Be, uh, give him a rest. He's had two tough fights back-to-back. Give him a rest before he gets back in that squared circle. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It was, uh, I mean, you described it perfectly. Um like you said earlier, very slow weekend um, this past weekend. But uh, 
One one of the fights that we touched on a little bit last week, but just uh, revisit, there's uh, Andy Ruiz back in action against an aging um, Luis Ortiz. Line on this one, Teddy, for the guys at my bookie, Ruiz is a huge favorite here, minus 385, plus 240 on on Ortiz. I think that... I think that maybe, you know, I've seen a lot of people say that Ortiz may be a live dog in this fight, but I also think that people may be underestimating the degree at which he's sliding. Uh, He's old. I mean, you know, with these Cuban fighters, it's hard to get an idea of what their real age is. And I don't know. I'm going to look and see what they have Ortiz listed as. But uh, what are your thoughts on that line and the fight in general? What's the line? Give it to me again. Ruiz minus 385. Ortiz plus 240. Well, Ortiz has a puncher shot. He's experienced. Oh, by the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, uh, guys, stay on here after we're done with this. This is going to be a fairly short one. Stay on. We got Jonathan Banks, the trainer of the great uh, Triple G uh, in training camp. We, we got him coming up in a great, insightful interview coming up right after this so please uh you're gonna enjoy it you're gonna enjoy it but getting back to that ortiz has a punch of chance he's a southpaw this one i'm positive about he's a southpaw he can bang with the left hand um he he is 40 or maybe 41 or whatever listed as listed as 43 oh, 43 on, um, okay on box rec but there are people that claim he's much older than that whatever he is uh, remember Al Duque, the great Cuban pitcher for the Yankees that came over? You know, he <laughs> yeah. defected from Cuba. Nobody ever knew how old he was. I think he pitched his last game. He was 85. But um, <laughs> uh, so he went uh, to high school with me. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I just, I think that uh, he has a punch of shot still. Obviously, the line is probably right. I would favor Ruiz. Ruiz looked horrible in his last fight uh, with with uh, Chris Ariola, an older Chris, a forty year old Ariola, who hurt him several times in that fight. Very game. Ariola is one of my favorite guys. He he's a tough, tough, tough son of a you know what. But he he's taken a lot of punishment. He's been around a long time, and he caught Ruiz. Ruiz didn't look good. He caught him a lot. He hurt him a lot. Maybe Ruiz lost too much weight with his new trainer, Canelo's trainer. Um, you know, maybe he lost too much weight. But whatever the reason, uh, he got hit a lot. And if if Ortiz can hit him like that, as easily as that, he's got a chance. He's got a chance. Um I would go with the under. What's the under over in that one? Do they have one? Yep. Yep. So over nine and a half at plus 105, under nine and a half, minus 150. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So they're, they're not that dumb. They uh, <laughs> they know what they're doing. Uh, yeah, I would probably go with the under. Um, so you're laying, hey, if you're going to bet, go with the under maybe. Um, make sure you can bet. You Make sure you got the extra, uh, you know, uh, bucks. Uh, don't bet irresponsibly. We're serious about that. You only bet if you, if obviously you have to extra money. But I would say that you don't have to lay the heavy wood um, on one side or the other. You know, if you're taking a favorite. I mean, if you like the underdog, take them. Go ahead. But I would, I would lean more towards laying a little bit, the one fifty, and going with the under. Probably give you, you know, give you a little bit maybe of a better shot in that kind of way. The one thing I want to say about the Pedraza fight, Ken, before we finish up over here, um, unless you have something else, is that Pedraza and Comey, Pedraza did some real, and I I tweeted about this. I say he's got to use his jab and he's got to go to the body. He went to the body, put water in the basement, like I used to say over at ESPN when I was calling the fights. He went to the body of, of Comey, who's getting older, was smart, really smart to go to the body. And it really paid dividends. I always would say going to the body in boxing is like putting money in a bank, Ken. Um, you know, like you put money in your own private vault. Uh, I know that. And but and you have guards that are around it. But the for the average person that puts money in the bank, you're going to get interest. 
If you leave it in there, you're going to get interest. And that's what body punching is for me, where you go to the body early in the fight, you stay there, you're going to get paid interest, dividends later in the fight. And you know what? Pedraza got paid dividends. Colmy, who was very aggressive, I know the headbutt came in too, but Colmy, who was very aggressive, slowed down. He slowed down later in the fight, Ken. And the reason he slowed down, the body work, the water in the basement. It, it, took something, it took some starch out of him. It took a little petrol out of the gas tank. And um, for those young aspiring fighters out there, it's, it's, so, it's not glitzy, it's not to sizzle, but it's so important. It's so important to go to the body. That's what I hate sometimes about the amateur programs is they don't teach the body work enough because it's a three-round fight, whatever it is nowadays, and it, it goes fast, and it's all about throwing a lot of punches. Sometimes they forget about defense. It's just about score, score, score. Instead of learning all the proper elements of the sweet science, all the... You know, the proper dimensions of the Swedes, a defense, counterpunch, and everything, and body work. But a lot of times in amateurs, again, they won't stress it for two reasons. They don't feel they have time to really get a payoff, and they don't think the judges give them credit for the body work. But body punching is so fundamental. It's so important. Pedraza, just I wanted to give him credit for that um, and pointed out that he did a great job there. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, like you said, we have the great interview with Jonathan Banks coming up, and later in the next week or two, we'll have an incredible interview with the uh, with the champ, Triple G. But in the meantime, before we sign off, I just want to give a quick shout-out, guys. If you like listening to Teddy, he's got an incredible book, Atlas, From the Streets to the Ring, A Son Struggled to Become a Man. There it is. Available on Amazon. Also available on audible.com. If you like listening to audiobooks, I've listened to it twice while I'm running. Um, also, you can check out the Teddy Atlas collection, the 36 collection at Box Raw, collaboration between Teddy and the company Box Raw. They make a clothing and apparel for boxers specifically. And also, like we say at the top of the show every week, uh, brought to you by Dynamic Striking. Teddy has a whole uh, tutorial, video tutorial on boxing and all the fundamentals of boxing. You can check that out at dynamicstriking.com. Search for Teddy Alice. You'll see it all there. And if you'd like to meet Teddy and myself, you can meet us at the Ted Dr. Atlas Foundation dinner the Thursday in November before Thanksgiving. We'll be there. All the information will be available on the Dr. Atlas Foundation website. And uh, we love to meet. We love meeting the fans there. Huge turnout every year. So please come by and check us out. And with that, Teddy, and also if you're watching, please subscribe to YouTube. We really appreciate the subscriptions. Helps us immensely. Uh, we say it every week, but please, it, it does mean a lot to us. So if you like the show, please subscribe, leave a comment, and uh, we love hearing from the fans. You got anything else, Teddy, before we jump over to the Jonathan Banks interview? Yeah, just that I appreciate everything you said. And, you know, as far as the foundation dinner, um, not only do you get there for a good cause to help people that fall through the cracks in life and that need help, um, but you get to meet guys like last year, Vander Holyfield was there, Tracy Morgan, you know. Uh, you, you get Phil Sim from the old New York Giant, who was great. Um, you get, Rosie Perez comes, the queen of boxing in New York. Um, you get Tony Dancer. I mean, you get so he was not only was he a great actor, he was a fighter. Um, yep. So you get a chance to to meet them and to smooth with them, and and um, and the biggest celebrity there is Ken Ken Rideout. So you get to see him, and the only thing Very I would, accessible. Yes, and the only thing, <laughs> and always clean shaven. And the only thing that I would <laughs> add to that is thank you for mentioning Box Raw, the 36 line. It stands for 36 minutes to make life fair. But the one thing, like Ken said, it yes, it has the boxing, uh, obviously, connection and touch to it. Uh, it's a former fighter who's a great guy, Ben Amana, uh, who, who makes the line great quality stuff over in London. Uh, they'll be coming to New York soon with the company. But it's not just boxing. It's not just for fighters. It's it's for people. It's for everybody. Uh, again, it has the boxing touch to it. Uh, but I think that's a good touch. And it's they make they make hoodies. They make everything. Sweats, shirts, uh, tank tops, everything. Uh, and and it's it's um, you know it's for all all people that that 
want to work out and want to look good while they're working out. So thank you. Yep. And guys, thanks for being with us. Like I said, stay tuned right now for the Jonathan Banks interview. That's a good one. And uh, we'll be back with you next week, of course. Thanks for all the support. We appreciate you guys. Have a great week. Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the legend Teddy Atlas and today's special guest, Jonathan Banks from the Cronk Gym in Detroit. How you doing, Jonathan? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good, man. Thank you for being with us. Appreciate the time. Question's yeah, mine. thank you. Definitely. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, you're, not only a, you're not only a good trainer, you're a gentleman. And thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you. I appreciate it. And... Appreciate you, and let's get right to it. Um, finally, <laughs> finally, the fight that everybody has been waiting for, a little later than most people wanted, <laughs> quite frankly, and I'm sure later than you guys wanted it. But how do you feel about everything that's transpired in getting the fight now at this point in his career, Golovkin's career? And how do you just, how's camp going? Because you are in um, camp right now. Yeah, I'm in camp right now. Camp is going great. Um, I mean, I, I'm trying to find better words to say because it's cliche. Everybody said camp is great. No one, no one's going to come in and say, oh, camp sucks. This is the worst camp ever. <laughs> you know, but really, camp But camp is going good. Um, we still building and still we getting, we getting a really good rhythm of work going in together, which is great. And... Um, yeah, and G's definitely looking forward to this fight. Like you said, it's, it's, it's a little later than what a lot of people planned it to be, but it's here, and um, for some reason, like this, this kid is really excited about it. Yeah, uh, well, good. You know, sometimes Customato, my mentor, the, the great Customato, I believe, you're just like you, you know, you come from greatness. You come from Emmanuel Stewart, uh, obviously. So I think we have that in, I think, we have a little bit of a connection with that or similarity that we both come from uh, from special people in the boxing business uh, as far as being our, you know, being, being our mentors. But he used to say, Jonathan, that never discount a former great fighter, former great champion, even if he's older, even if he's in the twilight of his career, you know, even if he's past some of his best, but never discount a champion on one given night, one given night that he can put it together for that one night. Is that, are we going to see that? I mean, I know, you know, are we going to see it? I mean, first of all, yes, I, I, I agree with you. Um, it's, it's, it's almost to the point where you got a lot, as you know, when you enter training camp, you go through a lot of different things and everything is, is being prepared for one particular night. And that one night has to be perfect at all times. Because if you make one mistake that night, it seems like you just had the worst camp ever. Or the first thing they say is, what happened to training camp? Why would you make a mistake like that on fight night? You know, but you got, you don't have a timeout. You don't have a rest period. You don't have a locker room talk. You have one particular night to get everything right. And um, and as you alluded to, I think G can he can he come out and give another another all star performance, or will he have to give an all star performance? You know, uh, will Canelo push him to the point where he needs to bring out everything out of his bag that he has? in order for him to just survive the fight, you know, because according to Canelo, he's coming to destroy him, you know. So um, does G have an all-star performance in his back pocket? To answer your question, yes. Um, will he need to go to a toe-to-toe battle, head-to-head battle? I knock your head off, you knock my head off. I'm not looking for that. But if that happens, I mean... I think he will oblige whatever whatever he needs to do to get to, to win the fight. But I'm I'm looking for um a beautiful night of boxing for Triple G. Yeah, I'm sure you are. You know, it's not easy, Jonathan, taking over training of, you know, a very experienced and successful fighter like Golovkin. But 
I actually felt I said it at the time, so this isn't you know Monday news, but I actually felt that in your first fight together against Steve Rolls, who was nineteen and zero at the time, Golovkin showed actual improvement in some areas, which is not easy to do with you know that old saying a dog can't teach a dog uh, an old dog new tricks. But to me, I saw improvement, and um, since taking over the reins of his training. What has been your focus with this obviously very accomplished fighter? Um, the goal, the focus usually for me is um, is something something I was taught by by my mentor, the late the late Emmanuel Stewart, um, about the timing and the rhythm. You know, Ray Robinson once said that everything has a rhythm to it, like a heartbeat. Fighters need to have a rhythm. Everything needs to have a rhythm to it. And that was the premise of the teaching that we learned down in that crunk gym, down in that basement, was having a rhythm. Like not just walking up to somebody flat, but just looking for a knockout. You know, it, it, the rhythm was the very important. So this is what I want to to get to this, what I want to stick to. I want this young, this young man. I'm like, look, we got to find your rhythm. Like, we start off, we go start off with mine. But in in me giving you mine, you got to find yours. And once you find your rhythm, then you can start letting your hands go at a pace where you're not going to get tired because this is all off your rhythm. Hey guys, quick break to give a shout out to today's sponsor, MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use the promo code ATLAS for 50% credit on your first deposit. Um, Big fights coming up. This weekend, we've got Andy Ruiz versus the old warhorse, Luis Ortiz. Ruiz is a pretty big favorite here at at minus 350, plus 235 on Ortiz. Personally, I like Ortiz at these odds. I think Ruiz should win, but... Ortiz is a tough guy, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the uh, win over Ruiz. We'll see what kind of shape Ruiz comes in at. I think Ortiz is like 65 years old now. I'm just kidding, but he's one of those Cuban guys that come over, and you don't really know what his, you don't actually know what his real age is, but we'll see. Uh, also, of course, Canelo, Triple G3, mega fight. This is uh, when the Golden Goose Canelo is in action. The fans turn out, myself included. This is going to be a great fight. Intriguing. Um, Canelo, minus 625. Triple G, plus 350. A lot of wood to lay on the favorite. Over, under, 10.5 rounds. Over, minus 250. Under, plus 170. Personally, I think someone gets stopped in this fight. I don't know why. I mean, obviously, they've gone the distance twice, but uh, there's a lot of bad blood here, and I think someone gets stopped, but we'll see. MyBookie.ag. Use promo code ATLAS for 50% credit on your first deposit. Please bet responsibly, and good luck. You know, since you mentioned um, the late great Emmanuel, as I mentioned him earlier, and you mentioned a crock, I just got to throw in one quick uh, thing that I have to ask for all the people out there that really know boxing. Was the crock, the legend of the crock, was it really kept as hot as everybody says? (laughs) 100%. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Whether it was summer, winter, spring, or fall, that gym stayed as hot as possible. And what was the reason? I, I, I know as a trainer, I could guess. But for the people out there, they're going to say to lose weight. But it's to overcome. It's to be in a difficult environment, which we are when we're in the ring, and to mm-hmm. overcome. I would think that's part of it. But I mean, that, that's, a lot, that's, that's a lot of it because um, a lot of people, um, it's, it's almost to the point where you want to you you want to make your uncomfortableness comfortable now. Yes, sir. Whatever makes you uncomfortable, and when you perform, sometimes when you perform in extreme heat, you get tired fast. Yes. You don't punch. You don't punch as hard, or you don't go after your opponent as much. But once you get once the heat, and once you're used to the heat, it's like a regular day to you now. Yes, and you can fight. You can you can fight your fight. You don't have to focus on the heat. Now you focus on your opponent. Makes sense. You know, so the 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 heat what was it like it was just it was something it was the first thing you had to overcome. 
And once you overcame that, everything else, everything else, it was just what they call it was just greatness waiting for you after that. Teddy, can I jump in here for one sec? Yeah, sure. I, I have some thoughts on the heat and uh, heat training. Uh, I, I'm a competitive runner, Jonathan, and I, in running, they would always say that um, heat and humidity is the poor man's altitude. And I would argue, having trained at altitude and trained in the intense heat, I live in Nashville, I'm running 90 to 100 miles a week, that the heat actually, when you get into a cooler climate, may, I feel is more of a benefit having trained in the heat than training at altitude when you get in that in that comfortable climate on fight night or race day so i think that there's a lot of benefits to training in that heat and like you said if you can be comfortable being uncomfortable in that heat when you're out of it it's like you it's like you have another set of lungs for me at least and it makes you focus on all the little things like staying hydrated recovering because if you don't and you go back for another day after you lost 10 15 pounds in the gym you aren't going to be able to perform if you haven't done all the little things right exactly thank you teddy no, no problem. I'm glad you brought that up. But in other words, I always talk, um, Jonathan, about this business. We understand the physicality of it, the talent. We understand that. But I always talk about it being 75% mental. Uh, would you concur with that? And before you even answer it, a lot of people need to remember you were a hell of a fighter <laughs> yourself. You were really a good fighter. Um, yeah, you were. You were a good, solid, technical, complete fighter. And um, at cruiserweight, cruiser, light heavy, really cruiser, I believe. But um, is boxing 75% mental? I agree with you on that. I think it's 75% mental. Um, I believe that... Um, once you realize all your obstacles are behind you and the only one that's in front of you is your opponent, that makes the fight easy. Yes. Like, because when you, like, when we talk about the, the hotness in the gym, that was an obstacle a lot of guys had to overcome. And once they overcame that, at that time, a lot of these big, big fights that was going on, they leaving from the basement and they going over to Caesars Palace in Vegas. And fighting outside. Yes. And that was extreme heat. And plus they had the TV lights, it made it even hotter. So therefore, they didn't, that's an obstacle they didn't have to worry about no more. Because they were so used to fighting under the in the heat where they only had to focus on their opponent. So that was a mental obstacle that they overcame. And now they only got to focus on their opponent. So I a hundred percent agree with you. Learning to be Learning to become comfortable in an uncomfortable environment. Yes. <laughs> that's our world. That, that's, that's the world of the prize fighter. Um, in Golovkin's first fight with Canelo, Jonathan, he pressed the action. In the rematch, he boxed more. Uh, you know, as much as you can tell us, what's your strategy in this third fight? Honestly, I'm looking at him and boxing him. Yep. And and pressuring him at the same time. Uh-huh. Because I don't I I'm I'm looking at I'm I'm very every night I look at both fights, not on the on the on the computer, but mentally. Because once I once I record it here, I play it over and over and over and over and over. And I go over every little thing, every I'll go over everything. So um, I would like to take a lot of the boxing he did in the first fight. Yes. And I would like to add a little pressure to it that he didn't put on in the second fight. Uh-huh. You know, because I think I, 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 it's like, doesn't matter who you are. Everybody reacts different to when you start putting pressure on them. Whether, whether, they, whether you force them to, to become something else and they fight, or whether they reveal who they really are, I don't know. But they, they, uh, but you have to make someone, you have to make your opponent in somehow, some way, uncomfortable. And I think Canelo is a guy that you have to make uncomfortable. And if you, if you start, if you start boxing them, putting pressure on them, if he start missing, that makes him uncomfortable. You don't like to miss. 
That's no. why every fight, every every punch is calculated. That's why he started walking guys down. He started walking guys down. He take, 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 because he know if he keep taking, you going to be there for him to land some. Well, what you just said, Jonathan, huh, it sounds exactly what Beevil did to him. You know? I mean, are you, obviously you watched the Beevil fight. Are yeah. you, what are you taking from that fight? It's hard to take a lot from that fight because I think what Beevil did, I honestly think G did the first fight. Uh-huh. He just didn't get the decision. Yeah, he no, I agree that he should have won that fight. I yeah, thought he that, won both fights, but go ahead. Yeah, right. <laughs> so so going from there, I think and, and another thing that you brought you brought the Bevo fight up, that's what's another thing that's gonna make this third fight different. Because up until the Bevo fight, every decision that was either close or maybe a gap went Canelo's way. Yes. So now he got a decision that didn't go his way. So that's what's gonna that's what's making this fight a little bit more intense because Canelo now feels that he needs to knock out the win. Yeah. Yeah. So um, but that's your question. We looking for I I want I want G to start off boxing. That that's that's what I would like. Yeah. Because I, I think yeah. he's good at doing that. Are you influenced at all? Uh this is part of it. Are you influenced at all? Forget about that Golovkin. We talk, talked about that already, that he's 40 years old now. But are you influenced in your strategy and prep for this fight at all by the fact that Canelo is now the bigger man? I don't know if it's Mexican beef or hamburgers or Whoppers. I don't know what it is. I, really, I, I, I have no idea. But whatever. He... He has insisted that this fight go up to 168. Golovkin spent his whole career, obviously, as one of the greatest middleweights of all time. And now he's got to go up to 168. How does that play into your prep for this fight, Jonathan, that now you're no longer the bigger guy? It doesn't, it doesn't play much into it because the preparation is the same. Uh-huh. Um, it's not like 68 is going to make... Is gonna make him that much of a stronger puncher. Yeah. Does you know it play in a way, does it play in a way that he's a different physical being person than he was before? That that he's bigger, he's stronger. Let's face it, Canelo has muscles that he never had before. He's got right. you know again, I don't know where the hell they came from, but they're there. <laughs> <laughs> now does that change your, you know, a little bit of your strategy uh, along the lines of what we've been talking about, that he is stronger now. It doesn't. It doesn't change. It doesn't change it because um, no matter how stronger he is, um, G has always been physical, physically strong in, in his own right. Yes. So, therefore, that that physical strength that, um, that, that G has, that I mean, that, that's that's not really that's not really going nowhere. He got a couple. He only got they fighting at sixty eight. G rests at he rests and had his career at one sixty. So for me personally, no, it's not going to change anything. Canelo's a strong, aggressive, um, accurate, pretty strong, accurate puncher, aggressive. But some people, Jonathan, forget. That he's also a good counterpuncher. Uh, is anything you can tell us about, you know, how you prepared to deal and offset his ability to to counterpunch effectively? I think it's in, in, a, in a traditional sense. If if you and I in the gym looking somebody looking at somebody jab getting countered, the first thing we could tell them is, "Hey man, double or triple your jab. That stops yeah. the counter." Yeah, smother the right hand. Yes. So, so that 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 right there is simple. If you got somebody only looking for a counter shot, and you start doubling up on your shot or tripling up on your shot, that's no longer a counter shot no more. You know, it's it's interesting that I asked that question, and you came right with the obviously with that answer, and the right answer, because there were spots. Obviously, you warmer with them, but there were spots in the second Canelo fight 
where Canelo was countering him with the right hand over the jab. And it was obvious why, because, uh, you know, he was being successful, Triple G, with the jab. So one way to take away the jab is to counter with the right hand. And Canelo was doing that. So I guess you just spoke on it, really. But I would think that that's got to be a pretty big part of your game plan to deal with that, to deal with those spots where Canelo will look to counter with the right hand, as he did in the second fight. Yeah, 100%. But um, uh, <clears throat> that that is obviously it's a... It's a it's a little bit of a focus because the counter the the, the counter with the right the, with the right hands over the top is it's not so much of a of a of a such a big influence that the whole like we we got a whole course on on it so therefore for me if if he got his rhythm like he like like I want him to he doubling yeah. that jab pulling back and tripling that jab. That's gonna stop the that's gonna throw the counter so far off that now he gotta put his hands up and start coming. Because once he once he don't get that counter, once once he thinks once he don't get that, his that, way, that, yeah. That jab get doubled, then he gotta come with something else. Ken, please ask Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan. Yeah, uh, Teddy touched on earlier about the first two fights in that he thought that uh Triple G uh won them both. Certainly the first, I think most people feel that. Does it enter your mind at all that like you probably have to knock him down several times or out to get this win? Because I mean, look, Trip, uh, Canelo's like the golden goose, right? If Triple G's getting towards the end of his career, I think the establishment probably benefits more from Canelo getting a decision. And we've seen every indication that that will be the case on any fight that's close with Canelo. Bevo beat him almost in every round. They couldn't avoid that one. But is that something you guys think about and consider in the preparation for the fight? Think about all the scenarios about um need to knock out need to knock out need to knock out but when i talk to when i me and the fighter sit one-on-one i honestly i don't talk knockout i don't talk you need you have to you have to i don't talk like that we talk very basic we talk about the strategy and we talk about sticking to the program because there's no there's there's no roadmap to knocking this kid out at least not yet. <laughs> you know, there, 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 there's nothing, there's nothing to say. Okay, listen, you do this. I know you definitely can knock them out. So the goal is the goal is the um the the, the win every round. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The goal you. is to start in round one. When let's start let's start winning the rounds first and let him start going for a knockout. So we so we could put the pressure on him. That's reversing it. Let's reverse. Put the pressure on him. Let him say, you know, his let his corner. See that that that's the whole thing. When you got such a good fighter like him, if you're able to disrupt the corner, then you can get in the fighter's head and force him to do something that he wasn't necessarily ready to do at that point. And that's how you're able to get other things happening that you may want or may not want in the fight. Control what you can control. You cannot control the judges. I wish we could. But you can't. So control. And to be can. clear, I, I I disagree with the whole judging thing, but I just think that that's like a an, an inevitability that almost has to be addressed. But it has like to I be said, addressed. I, yeah, to, like said. from your perspective, you're right. Yeah. But from his perspective, from the trainer's perspective, his job is not not to worry about that, not to touch on that, just to get his fighter mentally and physically and technically ready to do what he has to do to have the best chance to beat Canelo. Period. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Well, I know you got the right strength coach over there in Chris Camacho. He's a good man. Okay. No, he is, and you got the right PR man over there, Mr. Jonathan, <laughs> um, with Fred Sternberg. Where is Fred? That's right. uh, where is he? Does does, uh, does he allow himself? Oh, he's, he's working. I heard. <laughs> we heard you. You're always working. The best PR man in the business, Mr. Fred Sternberg. All right, Fred. Did I say everything you asked me to? <laughs> did, did, no. Pay me later. Pay me later. <laughs> <laughs> You, you know what? And with all kidding aside, Jonathan, you have nothing but good people in that camp. Um, Fred and Chris and obviously 
Golovkin and yourself. You have all good people. And um, I just wish nothing but good things for good people. I, I've i always you. felt that way. And I'll continue to feel that uh, until I'm not on this earth anymore. So unless Ken has anything else to say, I will thank you for the people that are going to watch an interview, uh, watch and enjoy this interview. I will thank you from us uh, for taking the time out of camp uh, to talk to us. And, and as I said to other great fighters like Golovkin and others, not only thanks for what you do in the ring, but thanks for the way that you conduct yourself outside the ring. And thank you for the way you conduct yourself as a man um, thank you. Outside, I appreciate outside, that. outside of the ring. So thank, thank you. you. I appreciate it. It means a lot yeah. to me. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate your time and best of luck. And uh, we'd love to speak to you after you uh, get the win in this next fight. Thank you. Looking forward to it. All best right, of luck. Best of All luck, right. Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the time.